Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. This message is a bit like this communion cup. See, there are two types of people in this room. There's the first group of people, and every time you open the communion cup, it's a breeze. You just pop it open, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and it's really easy, and you've never once had a problem with the communion cup. If that's you, give us a wave. Superb. Let's hear it for the communion cup kings. There we go. And then there's the rest of us. Who finds that sometimes they're a bit tricky? Hands up. There we go. We need all the communion kings to pray for the rest of us. But this message is a bit like communion cup. It's a little bit challenging. And people in this room listening to me, people online, you all come very, from very different backgrounds and I'm speaking about God's guardrails and relationships. Some of you are single, some of you are married, some of you are divorced, some of you are living with someone and so I pray whatever situation you're in you will take the principles from God's guardrails and apply them as best you can thinking of Gordon who lost dear Poppy not so long ago and sometimes these messages are not always easy for different people but at the front here you can all sit down just for now but at the front here we have some of our pastoral care team These guys come every week and they're here to pray for you because we love you. So if anything does need to be prayed through, these guys are always at the front. Do come and see them. Is that okay? We're going to read the word and it's worth standing for the word. This verse, we call it our series verse. So we're all going to read it out loud together. So let's read it together. Are you ready? Go. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Lord, these are your words. These are your guidelines. And so we, not just guidelines, they are guardrails to help us and to protect us. So for every person listening online, every person in the building, I pray you take this word and you would apply it to our hearts and our situations in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. As you're taking your seats, we're going to watch a great video we showed last week, which introduces God's guardrails. Let's watch the screens. God has given us guardrails in His book. Guardrails. Now, there's a few things about guardrails, and Pastor John spoke absolutely brilliantly last week. If you didn't hear it, make sure you go to our YouTube channel, but just got a couple of thoughts about God's guardrails, and and firstly, a guardrail, what's it for? What's its purpose? It's to stop you from getting smashed and wrecked. Is that right? It's more than just a white line which wouldn't protect you. It's there to protect and to save your life. 
So throughout this message, I want you to, to think about what's the why behind a guardrail. And I think there's three. It's to protect you, to save you, and to give you life. Would everyone agree that's what a guardrail is for? Now, I want you to notice that when it comes to guardrails, if this thing saved your life, if you were in that car, question, would you be worried about the way it looked to other people? Would you be concerned about the color or would you be worried if people didn't think it looked like a good guardrail? If it had saved your life, you wouldn't. And remember, it's a guardrail, not a guideline. And it's not a white line. You can see that, yes, there are white lines in life, but God's word is not to be just white lines. God's word have got to be a bit of steel in your life because they are guardrails. Make sure you don't make them just guidelines or white lines. These are God's guardrails. They're there to protect you. And by the way, they're not my guidelines or guardrails. They're not Pastor John's. They are not soul church guardrails. Whose are they? God's. God's guardrails. So I'm going to talk to you about God's guardrails for relationships. So here's what I did. I thought about my life and what have been the guardrails that have really helped me and saved me and protected me. So when I was a young person, I had an encounter with Jesus at the age of 13. I talked about it recently. And I really, I mean, I met Jesus. And so when I came to his word, when I found a bit of the Bible that was there for me, here's what I did. I read it, I believed it, and I applied it. I made it really simple. And so when it came to the area of relationships, I was on the lookout for guardrails. I listened to preachers preach about this stuff. And here's a couple of verses that helped me as a teenage, 14, 15 year old to get through in life. And the first one comes in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. It says this, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Where is he? He's in you. You're not your own. I realized I wasn't my own. I'd been bought at a price. Therefore, I was to honor God with my bodies. My bodies, I've only got one. With my body, I'll honor God with my body. So I read that verse and I thought it was actually really clear that when it came to the area of sexual immorality, I was to flee it, I was to revert to, to make sure that sex was within marriage only. Then here's another verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. I heard this a lot. It was, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Now, I've got to say, I was fairly new to church, so I didn't know what unequally yoked meant. Let me answer that. It means don't date someone who's not a Christian. Don't marry someone who doesn't share your values in Christ. Now, already, 
Some of you listening online or watching here, you're going, well, I don't like the look of the guardrail. Sounds a bit too narrow, too restrictive. But what is the purpose of a guardrail? Is it about what it looks like? No. How do you measure the effectiveness of a guardrail? Does it save you? Does it protect you? Does it give you life? It may look too narrow. And sometimes, to some people, what we believe does look narrow. So I put these guardrails into my life. I was going to wait until I was married to have sex, and I wasn't going to date anyone who wasn't a Christian. How did you go, Steve? Well, I went all right for the first few years. It wasn't too hard. But then I turned 18, and I went to a very salubrious educational establishment. It was called Ferry Hill Comprehensive School. You little ripper in the northeast of England. And literally, people would come to school with baseball bats. I got the bus from Chilton, and because I wasn't from Ferry Hill, they would be waiting for us. It was a rough school. Even the dogs went round in packs, all right? And uh, when I went to sixth form, Literally, there wasn't any, any other Christians in the, in the whole of my school that I knew of. And I became the head boy, or as my brother called it, the head lick. All right? I don't think there was any other candidates, but I became the head boy. And I thought, great, because each week there's an assembly. I'll tell people about Jesus. But I forgot that once a year there was the school, Ferry Hill School Disco. The responsibility of the head girl and the head boy was you had to speak at the discos. Now, I assure you, I am no John Travolta, all right? I'll, I, it's not my vibe. It's not my scene. And so I went to the Ferry Hill School Disco, knowing what they'd be getting up to, knowing about the drink and the drugs and all that stuff. But I went because I had to. And I did my little speech. And then as soon as it was over, I'm like, I'm out of here. So I got my little Volvo and I'm going out on this really attractive girl. Her name was Amanda. And she, she knew that I lived in Rushy Ford and that to get to Rushy Ford, I'd have to go through Chilton. So she said, hey, Steve. And she's like, really, really nice. Never, never been as nice to me in her life. But she said, can I have a lift home? And um, I thought, this isn't a good idea. But she said, because you go past Chilton, don't you? I said, yeah, so I agreed to give her a lift home. So it was all very pleasant and very nice. We, it's about a 10 minute drive. And then I pulled up to drop her off outside her house. All right? Now I've got a picture of her house. This is Amanda's house. It's, there it is the one with the white, the red car. Anything with red outside of it, be careful. And uh, <laughs> so I pull up. I thought, I've done the decent thing. And she, she leans across me, I think, just to give me a little pleasant kiss. But before I know it, she's literally all over me, kissing me and trying to climb into my seat. I mean, I mean she's not made of wood, all right, yeah? But I'm like, whoa, I, w I literally wasn't expecting it. And then she looks at me and she says, no one's home, do you want to come up to my room? So there I am, I'm 18 years of age. And I'm, you know, I'm like any other 18-year-old boy, I've got hormones, I'm thinking, there's a part of me. Did I go in or didn't I? I didn't, not because I am good, but I think sometimes you've got to choose who you want to be when you're strong so that you know what to do when you feel weak. And it says in Psalm 119, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? 
It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why every morning when you read God's word, you are reinforcing your heart. You are putting guardrails in place. You are storing up strength for the moments when you feel weak, and then it's God that's gonna help you in those moments. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else. It's like, get this people. Above all else, guard your heart. Because from it flows the issues of life. You know, the most important place to put God's guardrails is in your heart. Why is that? Because firstly, everywhere you go, everywhere, unless you want to become a monk, but everywhere else you go in life, there is sexual temptation. I mean, the stuff you can access on a phone these days is unbelievable. A couple of clicks. Right? So everywhere you go, I, we've got a picture here of a corridor. And for me, growing up as a teenager, it was like walking through this corridor and there's doors on every side. And down these doors, you knew there were certain things to do with sex. And every now and again, you heard of someone that had been down there and they came back and they told you all about it in the schoolyard. Or occasionally, there would be a, a magazine that someone brought in. But that was about it. Only once in my life did anyone ever invite me down those doors. But today, for our young people... Those doors have been swung wide open. There are people standing in the doors saying, come on in, it's great. Everywhere you go, it is there. On apps, on the internet, sexting, you name it. It has never been more difficult to stay sexually pure. We can't change what is happening externally. That's why we've got to focus on the guardrails in our heart. The guardrails in our heart. And recently I was reading in the Guardian newspaper, there was a, a lady that writes uh, a, a paper for each, each week for the OK magazine. And she said this. She said, sex has become easier to get, but love has become harder to find. And I thought, how true is that? That's not a Christian writing. Sex has become easier to get, but love has become harder to find. You know, the second reason why you've got to look after your heart, for everyone listening to me online, is this. Every other area of your life you can fully recover from. Any kind of pain, but sexual pain, is one of the most difficult to recover from. I mean, let's take finances. Financially, if you get yourself in a bit of mess, financial pain, get into debt. After 10 years or seven years, you can, you, you, know, you can bounce back, you can get loans again, and you can recover. And that's okay. And you can bounce back from, from that kind of pain, financial pain, and then years later, you can talk about it to your family and say, hey, I overcome it, and I got through it, and you can laugh about it. Or maybe if there's educational pain, you went to school and you stuffed up, you made a right mess, but years later you get a good job and a good career, you can, you can laugh about it, but nobody ever laughs about sexual pain. It's a really difficult topic to talk about because your heart, we all know, 
that sex is not just a physical act. Sex is not just an emotional act. It's about your soul. And so many people that I've talked to as a pastor and as a chaplain in schools down the road, when you get behind the smile, there's brokenness and hurt and pain and a sense of worthlessness and rejection, and it doesn't disappear. It goes on, and it can follow you throughout your life. Unless you come to Jesus, and he helps you with it. And maybe listening to me online and in this room, statistically, there are so many of us who have been through this kind of pain and you're saying, well, Steve, what does that mean for me? What does Jesus think about this? And this is where I get really excited about this message because there's an amazing story in the Bible when Jesus was confronted with this kind of pain. It comes in John chapter eight and Jesus is in Jerusalem. There's a festival going on and the city is packed. Last night, Rachel came back from Cambridge. I picked her up. And there's been a festival going on somewhere. And all these people poured out and it was a party atmosphere. Rach couldn't get a seat. Everyone was just cheerful. And so this is what's going on in Jerusalem. And it says, now early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. I love this. Everywhere Jesus went, he didn't repel people, he attracted people. People wanted to hear him. And then it says, and the scribes and the Pharisees. Everyone give me a little hiss. They brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And they set her in his midst. Sometimes you've got a picture the Bible. Can you imagine this story from the perspective of this woman? She has been caught in the act of adultery, of sleeping with another lady's husband. So firstly, there's guilt. Secondly, they bring her in to the church and they throw her down, so the shame. And who was it that caught her. Of all the people to catch you in an act like that, it was the Pharisees, the religious police. You wouldn't want to be caught by the vicar, would you? And so this humiliation. And so you imagine this girl thrown down in front of Jesus. And it says, the crowd said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commands that she should be stoned. I mean, can you imagine what that woman was going through? I mean, she'd been there. She'd seen this happen. This happens in countries all around the world still today. And so as the people pick up the stones, she knows what's coming next. So there's guilt and humiliation and shame, but now fear grips it. This is it. And they said, Jesus, since you're such a great teacher, since everyone wants to hear from you, that's what Moses said. What do you say? Man, you talk about a moment. 
You talk about a moment right there of drama. How does Jesus treat people involved in sexual sin? What does Jesus do? I love verse 6. It says, Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger. He gets down into the dust and the dirt and he takes his finger and he writes. And everyone looks at it and they wonder what it is. And the second time he gets down again and he writes. And this time he says, if there's any of you lot, that's without sin. If any of you are perfect, if any of you have never done anything wrong, then you throw the first stone. And then it would have ended. The Bible says that what happens is this. It says first the eldest, because they were the wisest, and then the youngest. They all knew that they'd all messed up. They all knew that there's not one perfect person amongst them. So what do they do? They put down their stones and they leave. Friend, has the thought ever occurred to you that there was one person that could have thrown the first stone? There was one person that had never sinned that was present and that was Jesus. And he could have condemned her, but he didn't. The Bible says he was left alone with Jesus. And what an incredible moment. This woman has been through trauma like we can't describe. Now she's alone and she's thinking, what's Jesus going to say? Is he going to scold me? Is he going to lecture me? Is he going to condemn me? And Jesus says, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. They've all gone. Jesus says to her, I love these words, neither do I condemn you. There are people listening online, there are people in this room, and you need to hear the voice of Jesus speaking right into your heart, right into your life, and he's saying, neither do I condemn you. Others might have tried to destroy you and diminish you, but Jesus' words are, I didn't come to condemn you. Last week, Pastor John, he talked about God's guardrails and he said God has given us two, a guardrail of grace and a guardrail of truth. And here, this woman has experienced the first of God's guardrails. It says, neither do I condemn you. He didn't come to condemn you. What is a guardrail for? It's to protect you. It's to give you life. It's to save you. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus is a lover of people. The first thing he says was, Neither do I condemn you, but it doesn't finish there. What else did he say? He then said, go your way and sin no more. He starts with the guardrail of grace, neither do I condemn you, but then he says, go your way and sin no more. The guardrail of grace will protect you from your past. The guardrail of truth will protect you for your future. Go your way and sin no more. We don't talk about sin much, 
but don't mess with sin. Just don't. Sin will infect you. It's like a virus that if it gets into your computer, it will take over everything and it will keep going until it destroys you. It nearly destroyed that girl's life. But thank God he's given us guardrails of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And I'm so grateful in my life that it's not about how good I am, it's about how good God has been, that he gave me a holy Bible and a holy spirit so that I can live a holy life. If it was left to me, I would mess up all of the time. And so any holiness that's in me, it came from him and righteousness that come from him. And we all need it. There's not one person listening to me that doesn't need God's guardrails of grace and truth. Man, that is the quietest you lot have ever been whenever I've spoke. It's like nobody dares move. So are you still with me? So that stuff helped me as a single guy. It helped me and on 4th of April 1993, I got married. I think we've got a picture. I didn't show it in the first service. This was, there you go, 38 years ago. Look at that. I don't know what's going on with the hair, but the good news was at least I had hair back then. It wasn't dropping out, so I'm not complaining. Doesn't my wife still look gorgeous? She, she looks like she's five years older. I look, I'm 30 years younger than I was. No, I didn't say that right, did I? But anyway, I, I do love you, darling, and I, I think I did very well. Does anyone agree? I think I've told you this before, but my mate Simon, when I was a teenager, he said, who do you like? And I said, it's, it's Rachel Pimlot. And he, he looked at me, he said, forget her. She's out of your league, all right? Sometimes you need to speak with truth. But thank God for God's grace that he can do exceedingly and abundantly and above all you can ask or think. I've done well. And so when we got married, we decided we needed some guardrails for our marriage. God's guardrails helped and protected me as a as a teenager, they genu genuinely did. And so we found that the Bible has lots to say about marriage. And a lot of what I say now will, can apply to all of your relationships. But it's written specifically for marriage. And it says this, verse 22. Now, again, this is going to be fun. All right, verse 22. It said, wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his church, his body of which he is the Savior. And right now, most of the men are feeling like the people who could open the communion cups. They're feeling pretty pumped about this verse. And most of the women are feeling like those that couldn't get it open, and it's really frustrating. But bear with me, because this is only one part of it. Because if you rewind the Bible, one verse. I've heard many, many men over the years quote this verse to me, that men are the head of the home, but I've never, ever heard anyone quote this one. It's the verse before, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who does the submitting if you submit one to another? Your wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, submit to your wives. Come on, give me a smile, everyone. I'm probably upsetting all of you now. 
This isn't my guardrail. I didn't write this. It's in the Bible. And one of the reasons marriage is so challenging is because it requires mutual submission. I've been to three weddings recently. It's all been fantastic. Dan and Lydia's this week. We had Sam Milchams a month ago. He's writing a blog, Milchams Monthly Marriage of Memories. And it's going to be great for the whole church. So, no, it's a joke. But anyway, I've been to three different weddings, all right? And it's great. Everyone dresses up. Everyone's so happy. And they forget that you're about to witness a funeral. Because every wedding, two people die. They stand before God and say, I'm ready to die to myself, to my own agenda, to my own desires. Because every wedding is a funeral of two people. You're submitting one to another. You're choosing to put her before him, before yourself. She's choosing him before her. And sometimes I have to submit to Rach, and sometimes Rach has to submit to me. But God's guidelines go on to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's really interesting because one verse says that the husband is the head, but then the next seven verses talk about all your responsibilities. You can't just have the rights without the responsibilities in life. If you want to walk in the rights of being the head of the home, you need to know your responsibilities. And it starts with this. Love your wife, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for the church. Men, are you, re- are you prepared to give yourself up for your wife? Are you willing to give up some of your time and take her out? Are you willing to give up the first 15 minutes when you get in from work and you feel tired and to actually listen and give her your attention? Are you willing to give up some of your career aims in order to get behind hers? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, in 30 years of marriage, I've found that if I love my wife this way, if I'm willing to submit to her, if I'm willing to love her as Christ loved the church, very few wives would have a problem with submitting because we both do it. These are God's guidelines. Rachel and I had a little tiff this week. I know none of you ever do it, but we did. We hadn't had a little tiff for quite a long time, actually. Why don't we call it intense fellowship? Does anyone ever have intense fellowship? And it's actually quite, quite rare, and the subject was quite rare. We were, we were just chatting through various things in church life and a particular pastoral care case, and, and I was seeing it one way, and she was seeing it another, and we were gradually getting louder and louder. And, and then I said, but yeah, four years ago, they did this. And she let me have it. <laughs> she said, you can't say that. Four years ago, you can't start bringing up things that people did four years. You can't be so judgmental. And I said in the last service, she, she hit me hard. She didn't hit me. She hit me hard with the truth, all right? She let me have it. Now, fortunately, we weren't in an airport because airport Steve could have arisen at that moment. But I was in the front room, so I was calm. I didn't react. I responded. And so I went for a little walk in the garden. And actually, I phoned you, Richard Nash. And while I'm on the phone to Richard and I, and it wasn't about that, but while, <laughs> maybe we could hire you out, it was like marriage counselor, but it wasn't about that, it was something different. But after I finished, I thought, you know what? She was right. 
Sometimes we've got to get, stop remembering what God has forgotten. It was four years ago. And so I went back into the kitchen. She was doing something. I came behind her and gave her a kiss. She didn't want to know. That didn't work. <laughs> Quite right. So I turned around and said, Rach, you're right. I got it wrong. I'm sorry. You've got to submit. It's grace and truth. There's times when you, you need to hear the truth, man. Wives, you need to hear the truth. And usually it's your partners that see it most. And so after 30 years of marriage, I've learned one or two things as the team come up, but here's one of the things. One of the things is people would hear a story like that and say, yeah, but Steve, aren't you the head of the home? You know, in 30 years of being married, I've never once had to play the I'm the head of the home card. Never once. And let me tell you why I don't. Because in Colossians 1, 17 to 18, it says this. It says, speaking about Jesus, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Do you know what we found works really well in marriage? Chosen to make Jesus the head of my home. I've chosen to make Jesus the head of my marriage. I've chosen for Jesus to have the first place, the position of supremacy. Why? Because even when I'm trying to walk within God's guardrails, sometimes, in fact, many times, I still get it wrong. But thank God, Jesus came to live in me. And every now and again, when I'm in the garden and I need a bit of wisdom, Jesus speaks to me and says, she's right. You'd better go and apologize. And thousands and thousands of times, Jesus has done that. He's the one that will hold your marriage together. When you're listening to him and his guardrails. So I'm 52 years of age. For 39 years, I've been putting God's guardrails in place. Remember, it's not about what do they look like. That's not how you measure. It's not about whether my guardrails please people. Most people think they're too narrow. How do you measure the effectiveness of a guardrail? Has it protected me? Has it saved me? Have these guardrails given me life? I'm married to the most beautiful girl. Never been more in love with her got two amazing kids that I love to bits I'm so proud of and I look back on my life and I wonder what would have happened if I'd gone into that door how my life could have been different had I not put God's guardrails they've protected me They've saved me so many times. They've given me life. Friend, I don't know what you think Jesus is like. 
Maybe you walked in thinking, man, the roof's going to come down if I walk into a church. People think that because they think Jesus is condemning. They think that he's got something against you. But when they meet him, they find out like that woman did. that He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to protect you. He came to give you life in all of its fullness. Friend, he loves you. He loves you so much, he's willing to put guardrails in place to protect you. The greatest decision I ever made was to invite Jesus into my heart so that when I need it, when I'm not sure which way to go, he is my guardrails. And all I've done for those 39 years has said, Jesus, would you guide me? Because you know what? If I'd been guiding my life, I can guarantee you it would not be where it is now. I would have messed up so much more. Friend, Jesus made you. He made you for a relationship with him. And he wants to come into your life. And here's what he'll do. He'll graciously forgive you of your past, no matter what you've done. And then he'll be the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth. And then you simply need to walk with him leading and guiding you. And today you can take that first step. I've been walking this journey for 39 years, but the best decision I ever made was to go his way. What about you, friend? What about you guys listening online? You say, how do I take that first step? It's really easy. You pray a prayer. You say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but I want to start living your way. Maybe you once walked in God's guardrails, but if you're honest, you messed up, you came crashing over those barriers, you went your own way, did your own thing. But right now you know it's time to come back. And he's still so gracious and so loving. And today, friend, you can get right with God. So I'd love to pray with anyone. As a church family, we always pray it together every service. We would love to include you You guys in this section, you guys in this section, you guys listening online, you guys in this section. If you want to pray this prayer, and here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to count to three. If you want to be included when I count to three, then all you do is raise your hand, and then together we're all going to pray this prayer. This is your moment, friend. So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. God loves you. He wants to come into your life and walk with you. So all across this room, If you want to get right with God, then when I count to three, you raise your hands. Are you ready? One, two, three. That's it. Just lift them up. Thank you. Thank you back there. Thank you at the back. Thank you over here. Thank you over there. Thank you over there. Come on. How beautiful is this? It's beautiful. You guys online, we're all going to repeat this prayer after me. So everyone, especially if you mean this from your heart. You repeat it after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me to forgive all my sin and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life and help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and live for you 
Amen. Let me pray for you, Jesus. For every person who prayed that prayer in their heart, wherever they are listening from, either in this room or online, right now, I thank you that you're coming in, forgiving them of their past and giving them a brand new start. So I commit them to you. Come and fill them afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Just while we're praying, I'm just gonna pray for every person. This is whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you've lost someone or whether you're living with someone. I'm gonna pray over you, Lord. You gave us the ability to make our own choices. You offer us your guardrails for our lives. And I know you love every person in this room. You love every family. You love every married couple. And so right now I pray that they would have the courage to embrace your will and purpose for their lives. That Lord, they would put around their hearts your guardrails that will protect them and save them and give them life. So Holy Spirit, would you walk closely with us this week? Would you speak to us? Would you help us to live lives that honor you and glorify you? In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.